You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1194 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. Today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. Check out prizepix.com. Use the promo code MBA or go to the App Store, download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's podcast is sort of an in between the week kind of show. We covered the Hawks game in depth on Monday, a loss in Detroit. We'll cover the Hawks game on Wednesday when they go to Milwaukee, but in between, I'm joined by a first-time guest of the program, someone I've been reading for a while. We've been talking offline. He's been uh, digging in on the Hawks quite a bit. Matt Issa of Basketball News and other places. You can plug all the stuff that you'd like to, but uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, Brad. Um, it's a pleasure. You know, huge fan of the show, huge fan of the network. Um, but yeah, Basketball News, um, I write at a bunch of other places like The Analyst, uh, All-Star Sports recently, sometimes Forbes. But yeah, I'm all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure you... You know how like the freelance the freelance <laughs> world is. Yeah, I uh, I've done a little less of that in recent years, but I used to have to list you know ten things. Now it's like five things I can I can pub instead of ten or eleven. But uh, no, I totally understand the game, and I do appreciate you taking some time. And you've been writing about the Hawks a couple times recently that we'll talk about and sort of dig into here. Um, interesting time to be talking about the Hawks in some ways. You know, it's late in the season, but they also had kind of a bad loss on Monday. The fan base is a little bit sour. At least in my experience today, the uh, Twitter reaction was pretty toxic at times after that loss to Detroit. But um, I want to start positive, and we'll probably get to a little bit more critical later on in the show. Uh, you wrote about Troy Young a couple weeks ago and his sort of progression as a player, and uh, I would definitely encourage people to read that. But even beyond uh, going and find that piece and reading it, um, I'm wondering what you've seen from him because there is this interesting discussion particularly when he has a bad game you get the national people kind of parachuting in like oh can, can you win with Trey Young and the whole conversation that you always see uh and I think he's had a really good year honestly if I was doing all NBA teams he would be on there for me but that's not a consensus opinion by any means so I'm wondering what you've seen from him this year we can sort of dig into that from there yeah and uh, we talked about this a little bit off air so it's going to be me regurgitating it a bit but um I feel like there's so like the circles, the the Twitter circles you and I frequent are kind of past the point of, okay, just because this guy's team is not performing well doesn't mean this player can't be like an all-NBA caliber performer just because there's so many nuances at play in an NBA basketball game. But like I feel like the problem is a lot of the people who still have ballots, you know, that are like godfathered into the process or whatever – they still see basketball, you know, through that lens. And so that's why Trey's – honestly, he's gotten better since the playoffs. Like, so his improvement this season is kind of, like, you know, flown under the radar. But, yeah, I was um, – we could talk about this later, but I was, like – I was just charting my, like, top ten offensive players in the league. And, like, I mean, Trey's right there. I don't know where – if, I if like, for sure he's in my top ten, but he's right there. The, the passing, the creation, the scoring, like, the stuff that all of us know about him is just – it's bonkers. It's off the chart. Um, in my article, I compared him a bit to like Nash and Mark Price and James Harden, you know, guards who are not like traditionally athletic, but he's right there with them. But the thing that's kind of um, surprised me the most 
this year from watching him as opposed to years in the past is the stuff he's doing off ball. I think one of the big narratives about Trey Young, the, you know, the detractors who say you can't win with him have, you know, cited his like inability to play off ball, but um, that's not the case this year. And I'm, I'm sure it wasn't the case in the past, but for sure not this year, he's hitting those 30 to 35 foot three pointers at a rate that he has never done in the past. And because of that, whoever's on him, even if the ball's not in his hands, they check him from right there. And that essentially, you know, makes the floor a four on four. And if you, you know, I'm sure you've played plenty of pickup basketball in your life, but you know, it's easier to score as oh, the, yeah. uh, the number of players on the court decreases. And then like, sometimes they'll do, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, where Herder or bogey might get the ball in an Iverson cut and, or they just might bring the ball up and young will be playing off ball and he might come off a pin down or might just be standing there and using his gravity to make space for them. But I'm liking the off ball aspect and it, it projects well if they try to add better offensive players next to him. Yeah. I think that one of the big things is like, does he actually want to do that? And you hear different things, you know, Trey definitely has gravity to your point about having to be guarded everywhere on the floor. That's, that provides value in itself. Like he's got to stand um, when, when he wants to stand anywhere, basically he's going to get, he's going to get attention. That's part of the deal. And they haven't had all of these great on ball options outside of him. So you can kind of see both sides. Like, yes, he's not the greatest off ball player because he doesn't necessarily like run around screens. He's not going to be too active off the ball. There's a little bit of standing, but if he spaces the floor, that already is giving you an advantage. Like you just got into and the shooting is what it is. He's had his best three point shooting season of his career so far this season and the shooting is what it is. Like I, you know, it's kind of funny to me. There was this like question about his shooting at some point because he wasn't making yeah. threes. And it's like I get it because if you if, if all you do is look at the percentages, like it's not always been the greatest from three point range. But part of that's the shot quality and the shot difficulty. Like he takes a bunch of difficult attempts, and I think objectively he's a good shooter. I think everybody knows that. But now it's like coming up and showing up in the numbers. So I don't know. It's interesting to me too the way he's he's discussed. I think part of it might be that. This is the first time in his career, really, where they don't have a huge on-off split with him on and him off. And I think in the past, I've done this too. I'm guilty of it. Because they were so bad with him off the floor in previous years, it's an easy way to combat the narrative because someone will come on my podcast or come on, ask me a question about Trey. And I'll be like, look, it's not Trey's fault. They're terrible when he's off the floor. And this year, they haven't been as bad. Like They're still not good when he leaves the floor, but they've gotten better play from guys like DeLon Wright and Lou Williams that they've had in the past from the, from the backup spot. And it's not been quite as big, big of a catastrophe overall. Now, the offense does crater when he leaves the floor, which you might have said if I, didn't, if I didn't just say it. But it's really interesting to kind of see all the numbers put in place. And um, at the end of the day, some people are just not going to vote for him for All-NBA or anything like that if he's going to be on a 500-ish team. But in terms of just overall quality of the season, like he's been – as good or better, and I think better this year than he was last year. And he might he may not get the same recognition for it at the end of the season because they might not make a run to the uh, conference finals. But I've, I mean, in terms of like issues with this team, Trey Young is like number one hundred and five. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where if you're trying to list the problems with, with this team, Trey Young is not near any anywhere near the top. Let's just say. Yeah, and it's just funny, like the winning bias stuff. Like, I would say he's better than you know the version of Trey Young we saw in the conference finals last year, but like. If you ask some people, like, oh, that version of Trey Young is somehow better, but no, he he's taken a leap and it's it's very respectable. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because 
he was doubted so much. And I, I use the word doubted kind of maybe, but it's the wrong word because I kind of, I kind of roll my eyes sometimes when he, when he says that, because, you know, he was a McDonald's All-American. Yeah. He was a top yeah, five, five pick. Star like, prize. Yeah, he's not really five been doubted stars. that often in his career, but I will say, you know, there were questions about him as a playoff performer. And I thought they were reasonable questions. A lot of them were because look, small guard, doesn't play defense, all that stuff. And he answered all of them last year. He was really good the entire way. You could say the matchups were favorable because they kind of were. But even against Milwaukee, when he was dragging his leg, like he was still playing at a super high level. I think that question was answered very uh, loudly in that spot. But then, of course, within a couple of months, the Hawks fall off the radar. The Hawks are struggling. And it's like, you know, part of the deal of being a superstar player is that you get all the blame or at least some of the blame when your team loses. I find that at least nationally, Trey gets the blame. And locally, it's Nate McMillan's fault. It's kind of the deal. It's like, superstar and head coach get all the blame and I think it's kind of not neither of them ever like if Trey plays poorly they're going to have a hard time winning which is that's not necessarily his fault either but if he doesn't if he doesn't have it they're not built to be great when he doesn't have it like last night's a good example when he was pretty bad against he's pretty bad against Detroit they did not play well but always in my opinion the best player gets too much credit too much blame head coach too much credit too much blame and uh, I guess the cycle continues yeah, no, it's like uh, after I forget when Bill Simmons said he might have said it in his book, but it's like as like a media as a fan base, we build we build athletes up to tear them down later on. So we're seeing the same thing play out with uh, Russell Westbrook in, in L.A. in a different way. But yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's for sure. I mean, it's different different uh, arc, but mm-hmm. it was kind of foreseeable that if the Hawks did not quote unquote repeat their success from last year, someone's gonna get some of that backlash. And it's been a combination, at least of what I've seen from it's been mostly Trey nationally, Nate locally, and some sprinkling of John Collins, because as I'm I'm sure you might have uh, thought this, I think John's been playing very well. But he's been awesome. Anytime a guy signs a big contract, mm-hmm. people think that he's gonna suddenly be a different guy. Like it's there was this expectation that he was suddenly going to be a top 20 player in the league. And it's like he's still the same guy. He's still really good. He's still worth that contract. But at least there are some portions of any fan base that's like, oh, you sign for X amount of dollars. That means now you have to be all NBA or something. And it's like, no, he's just yeah. good. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Collins, what is he getting paid? About $22 million a year or something like that? Yeah, it started low. I think it's like 23, 24 this year. Going up to, it's yeah. a 25, $25 million annually. But mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's, that, it's, it's one of those lazy narratives where like people think it's the max and it's obviously not the max. Yeah. Like he's well below the max. But because you see the $100 million plus number, it's like, oh, max contract. It's like, no, that's not, he's actually not in max contract. Yeah. And the thing is, that's like, that's the rate now. Like that 23, yeah. 24 for like a top, what is he, a top 60 player in the league, you'd say, right? Sure. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's the rate, and he's having his best season ever on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, now like just start like just throwing like a skill off the top of my head. This is the best passing season he's ever had. His, Definitely, his connecting has been awesome in the short roll. But um, this uh, Hawks team, it it reminds me of Philly when they went on that sixteen win um streak. Uh, that the the first like full Simmons Embiid year. Yep, and that like completely changed like the trajectory of the franchise. Like they were going to take their time slowly build this competitor and then all these championship aspirations were kind of placed on their shoulders and I feel like unfortunately the same thing's happening in Atlanta where they overperform one year and like people have this idea that all growth should be linear so like okay this season they've got to be a finals contender you know <laughs> yeah definitely the, uh, the the linear growth thing is something that I always mm-hmm. preach that it's not the case and I'm glad you brought that mm-hmm. up uh, before we circle back to a couple other things talk about some defensive stuff etc a word from our sponsors on the show today 
NBA fans, are you in search of a daily fantasy option for this season? If you are, check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so easy to use. All you have to do is pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections. If you do that, went up to 10 times on any single entry. It's just you against the projected numbers, which makes it very, very easy to do. An entire entry can be made in just a minute or less. And PrizePix is also safe, and they offer fast withdrawals. They have props on almost anything you can think of, including points, rebounds, assists, even steals. And they have mixed sports in terms of their entries. You can, If you're really into MMA or soccer or even college hoops, you can pair those things together and use all those skills at the same time. For a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive offer for all of our users, and that is a no-brainer, honestly, to sign up. $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores even a single point if you use the promo code NBA. That's right. Exclusive offer for locked on fans. Sign up today. Use the code NBA and get $50 for free if a player on your first entry scores a single point. Check it all out at prize picks. Matt, before we move off of Trey, I know you've been digging on him. I want to ask about his defense. There's uh, It came up the other day. People ask me and I always give my answer, but I'm wondering what you think about this. There's the narrative that Trey is the worst defender in the league. You'll, no matter what you see, no, no matter who you talk to or some, bring it up on Twitter, someone will always say he is the worst, not even just one of the worst. Mm-hmm. People, someone will, will say that he's the worst defender in the league. I'm on record as saying that basically no point guard could be the worst defender in the league. That's what I think. I think the impact of Trey, who's just so everybody knows, he's not he's not a good defender. We I think we all understand this. But I think, number one, he's better than he was as a rookie. He's He's been better every year. Does that mean he's good? No. But he he does a little bit he does a little bit more each year to be more competitive, more active, et cetera. But my overarching point is that always a point guard cannot kill you defensively in the way that a bad center can, or a bad four, even even a bad four, even a bad wing honestly might do more damage. Do you agree with that? And like, what do you think of his defense and the sort of the impact it has? Because like like I said, everybody agrees that he's bad, but like, what's that actually mean to you? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, you, it's impossible for the point guard to be the worst defender, just because like. You, if you're like, if you're smart about it, um, I remember when I did the quest for the best, uh, I was studying Kobe Bryant in the back half of his career, you know, Kobe's like notorious for being a great defender and he was for a good part of his career, but like in the back half of his career, Phil would hide him on the weak side and there, he would probably get like challenged like two or three times a game on ball. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can hide that. And with Trey, I'm a similar ordeal. Like from my eye test has kind of gone on. He doesn't get challenged on ball too much. I think it's like, it's a sloppy, sloppy narrative to say, at least in the regular season, that he's like consistently getting hunted by defenses because I just don't think that's the case. What I will say, it's he's never going to be, no matter how hard he tries, he's never going to be like a good or average defender. That's just the nature of being six foot, 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, his faults. So, I mean, in the half court, I think he dies on screens. Like it's, it's, it's kind of bad. It's hard to look at. Yeah. And then he, he does go for these lazy double teams that compromise the defense a little too much for my liking. Um, I'm surprised because like usually good passers are like good at getting steals. So I'm surprised he's not better at that. I think that's an area of improvement he could try to work on. But the big killer for them is something I've started to realize more. Your transition defense is really dependent on your lead initiator and on offense. Because if, if Trey's the head of the snake, he's going to be the first guy back on defense. So he, at least for a couple seconds, is your backline defense. And like I said, he's six foot, 180 pounds, soaking wet. He doesn't, he's not a vertical athlete. We know this. And that's probably part of the reason for their transition struggles this year that have been like well-documented. They're really bad transition defense. So I think that's where he's really killing them. And they've got to figure out something schematically to, um, 
to neutralize that. Yeah, I think all of that is definitely the case. And, you know, he would have, you mentioned his size and his weight, and those are all concerns. And I think even if he was not a superstar offensive player that carried this huge workload, he'd still be a bad defender. And then you throw in the fact that he's has a 35% usage rate and like, it makes it even less likely because he's got less energy to spend on defense and it's the whole cycle over again. And um, doesn't mean that you can't build a competent defense. That's kind of what I would say. Like, yeah, if you have a, if you have a bad center as one of your best players, a bad defensive center, it's really, really hard to build a good defense, not impossible, but really, really hard. It's a lot easier if it's a point guard. The problem is you got to be great everywhere else. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, um, you know, I mentioned Steve Nash and the 2002, when I was doing my research for one of my Hawks articles, the 2002-2003 Dallas Mavericks with Steve Nash and Dirk Nowinski in the starting lineup. So two really bad defenders historically, they had the ninth best defense in the league um, based on defensive efficiency. So, like, it is 100% possible with just, like, one weak link. Definitely. I mean, we saw it. Now, there was some noise for sure in this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and couch that. But in the second half of last year, they were like 12th or something like that on Mm -hmm. defense with Trey being obviously a huge part of that. Capella was out of his mind, all that stuff. But um, yeah, I don't think that they're ever going to be elite defensively with Trey. I will say that. But you don't have to be elite on defense if you're elite on offense. You got to be good on defense or at least Mm -hmm. pretty good. There's that dividing line. And obviously the Hawks are falling below it this year. There's no question about that. They're 27th right now on defense. No one uh, in the right mind would tell you that's going to be good enough. I think the only team that I can remember, and maybe you have a better memory than I do, in the last decade plus to be anything approaching this bad and actually still be a contender was that Cavs team, that one Cavs yeah. team that was just obviously didn't care, though. Like it was That was a LeBron team that just did not care in regular season, and that was at least an explanation for it. In the playoffs, they, they got better, and they had better talent than this Hawks team does defensively. But can you think of anybody else that's ever been this bad and actually was like a, a legitimate contender? Because I can't. Yeah, so I charted them, and it was basically those like Cavs teams post 2015-16 because the the championship Cavs team was actually a really good defensive team. Usually it's the other way around where really like below-average offensive teams can get carried by their defense in the playoffs. You know, the the examples that come to mind is like the mid-2000s Pistons, that last um, Kobe Bryant championship. They were actually, I think, 17th in defensive efficiency, so – you know, they were carried by, I mean, not defensive efficiency, excuse me, 17th and offensive efficiency with Kobe and Powell still. So, yeah, it's got it. If you're going to do it, I think my rule is like, at least in the last 20 years from the data we have, if you're going to try to, if you're going to try and make an NBA championship, you're going to have to either have like a historically great defense. You're going to have like that balance of, um, you know, offense and defense where you're top 12. That's usually the sweet spot in both. Or you're going to have like this generational player. And I, I think Trey Young is a special player, but he's not, you know, he's not a generational player, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, that all that all squares with me. And I wanted to ask about the defense. We can get sort of dig into that now and then we'll come back to it as well mm-hmm. later on, because, you know, my very, very broad point this year has been. I do think the Hawks are better than this on defense, just from a talent standpoint. And I, I've said for a while that they do not have great defensive talent. That remains true, but at the same time, they should be better than they've been this year. Mm-hmm. That's not to say much because they're 27th in the league. Like better than this could be 22nd in the league or whatever you would want to say. But um, is there anything that explains that to you? Like given that their talent is, I think, again, better than this, is there anything that jumps off the page to you when you watch them? Because I've been talking about the perimeter stuff for a while as my number one, but even that's pretty broad. So I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Like what's 
problem number one, two, three about their defense right now? Yeah. So I, um, I came up with four. Um, the first one we kind of talked about, I think like something that any team can do, just grab the low hanging fruit. You got to communicate more. There's so many times where I'll see like a guy like calling, okay, Hey, Hey, cover this, cover this. Like, you know, Gallo, I remember this one play I pointed out in my article, Gallo is telling Lou, Hey Lou, you've got to, you've got to load up here so I can go cover the weak side. And Lou just like was kind of minding his own business. He freelanced it, ended up, ended up in an open Malik Monk three, but just things that like that, like you can fix, which, and that's kind of weird to me because like McMillan has historically been a really good defensive coach. So you think like they would have that stuff um, nailed down, but uh, so there's that. I think the transition defense we talked about a little bit, that's a huge problem. The um, the pick and roll defense, we're going to talk, me and you kind of, um, we had a little bit of debate about the <laughs> pick and roll defense. And then the perimeter defense, I agree with you at the point of attack. I think, you know, DeAndre Hunter's awesome, but it's that second uh, point of attack defender that's really kind of questionable to me. And I was going to ask you, while we're on the subject of perimeter defense, are you comfortable with either Herter or Bogey being your second best point of attack defender? It's interesting. I, I don't think that you want that. Um, I think in a in a vacuum in an ideal world, you don't want to pair either of them with Trey Young on defense. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. I do think that in certain circles, there's some laziness with regard to like, for instance, Herder in particular. There's this notion that he's a bad defender, and that's not really the case. Not, like he's okay. Kidding. Like he's not he's not great. He's not like a huge stopper. But I think because you see Kevin Herder, skinny white guy from Maryland with red hair do you think he's a bad defender? And like, as a rookie, he was pretty bad. And a second year player, he's got better every year. And I think he's generally a kind of a neutral now, which is fine. And I think that Bogey, um, now that he's gotten a little bit healthier, has been better this season. I think earlier this year, Bogey was uh, pretty flagrantly bad, to be honest. But his baseline is higher than that. Like he's acceptable defensively. But to your point, I think it is hard when you have Trey on your team to, to have only one guy in your lineup on the perimeter, that's a plus. And that would be the Hunter role, of course. And you're also playing two bigs. I mean, Collins, I think, has done a great job playing as a primary four. But it's not like you're playing, you know, two small forwards together at the forward spots. Collins is a four, is like a four and a half. Much more than like, if you're the Celtics and you're playing Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together, you can play two small guards and get away with it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. If you're the Hawks and you're playing two bigs and Trey you probably need ideally to have a, sec- a, a second guy that's better than that. And I think you've seen when DeLon Wright plays, their defense get better, gets better. Now he hurts their offense and I love DeLon Wright, but he, he hurts their offense. So it's like, which one do you want to get? But to your, to answer your question, no, I think at the highest levels, it is a reasonable concern to say, look, we, we already have this one huge target guy in the backcourt. Not that Herter and Bogey are that bad, but they're not big pluses either. And that's a problem. Yeah, and I think, like, when you're building this team, you have to keep in mind the idea that Trey Young is such a good floor raiser on offense at this point that you're pretty much guaranteed a top-10 offense to me. So I think you can be a little bit more flexible with, like, some of the pieces you put around him, like, worrying. So I think it's okay to, like, you know, next year if there were to, like, replace, I don't know, Bogey for, like, a guy who's 80% of what he is offensively but, like, is also, like, like a 10% upgrade defensively, I, I think that's okay. You know what I mean? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's, I don't know. The whole thing is, it's so crazy to me mm-hmm. to think about, this is kind of off topic, but it's also not. There's this, always this question about whether the Hawks need a number two star on offense. And it's like the guys who are brought up, it's Donovan Mitchell. I, or yeah, I heard you. In- 
Yeah, and it's like I know I've said this before on the show, but because we were just talking about this, yeah, it would help their offense, but like that makes your problems worse too. Like it, it's like it's kind of like the theory of do you want to strengthen the strength or weaken the weakness? And it's like I don't know which one of those you want to do, but I think ideally, if they have you know, barring what I would say is not a miracle, but certainly unexpected run this year, I'm expecting the Hawks to do something different on the perimeter. I, I don't, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to be. Um, you know, the, the 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 local one is like, okay, we'll trade Capella. We're going to get into this in a second. But beyond the the Capella Conwood thing, it's going to have to get sorted out at some point because you have these two, you know, high profile assets at center who are one position players. I think between Herder and Bogey, maybe even Hunter, but one of those guys. Or you bring somebody on top of them, is gonna that's, it's gonna change. I, I don't think they're gonna. I think after this season, them go, them going in with the same wing the same wing group of those three guys only is not likely in my mind. But mm. we'll see. This was a side note I had in my notes. I wrote it like really big, just because like the possessions I watched were tough on defense. But Gallinari at the four cannot be a thing ever. That's, again. Well, that's that's the other problem is that he can't <laughs> he can't play the five either though. Yeah. That's the thing. Like Gallo, I, you know. God love him. He's been a really good player for a long time. He's still a good offensive player. He really does bring value on the end of the floor. But, you know, not breaking any ground here. He's really tough to play. And then he's also playing at all times with either Trey or Lou Williams, who are two of the worst defensive point guards in the league. So you, anytime Gallo's on the floor, you have two glaring weaknesses defensively. And then if you build around them perfectly, like, yeah, let's say you play them with DeLon Wright, DeAndre Hunter, and Clint Capella. Now your offense is not fantastic because you have Wright, who's like a, not a great shooter. Hunter's just okay on offense. Then you have Capella's not a spacer. So I don't know. They, they have trouble finding lineups that can do all things, let's just say. Um, before we move on, I want to ask you a couple more things about the defense. But first, one more break here from our sponsors. It's March, and usually by this time of year, I've given them all my resolutions for the new year. But this time around in 2022, I have a resolution that's still going, and that's to eat right with a hat tip to Bill Barr. Honestly, it feels like it's not even really a resolution at all for me because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars. You have the protein-infused Puff Bars that are fantastic to all the other favorites from Built Bar. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate, which makes a huge difference in taste. And honestly, they all taste great. It's not even it's not even up for debate at this point in time. On top of the taste, Built Bars are low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars, both in taste and to improve your nutrition overall. If you go to built.com right now, check out the nutrition page, you'll be blown away with most built bars only having four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. In terms of flavors, built bar has all kinds of favorites like coconut almond and mint brownie. It's also new flavors all the time. There's new ones this month, and they'll be changing over the near future as well with all kinds of options for your tasting pleasure. Each flavor is delicious. They have new flavors coming all the time. And the best way to check out built bars, you go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15. If you do that, 15% off on your order will appear with Built Bar. Again, one more time, that's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, Matt, let's uh, get into more of the discussion we were going to have. I want to make sure that we don't um, short shift it about the defense, because you wrote about the defense this week. I, thought, I enjoyed the piece, and it gets to what Hawks fans always ask me about, so I'm going to pass it along to you. There's this delicate balance right now with a Kongwu and Capella where – they're not going to play together really ever. And a Kongwu is this lottery pick mega talent. I love him. I, I had him four in that draft. Love the pick, even as a strength that they already had, et cetera. Um, and Capella, I think after a slow start, has been better um, recently and is playing well again, but he's also just got, they gave him an extension, which was pretty interesting timing on that deal. Um, but, you know, 
at the end of the day, there's the there's two discussions. It's like one who should play more now, and then there's also the when do you move on for Capella to go to go to Kongwu? Because everyone agrees, even people that love like love Capella, like I think Capella is really good. I will still tell you that you don't draft a Kongwu at six, have him kind of showing signs of breakout, and never let him just go as the guy. So like, what do you make of that situation? Because I think, and reading you, I think you're a little bit higher on a Kongwu right now than I am potentially. Maybe or maybe it's a little bit lower Capella, one of the two. But uh, where you, what do you make of that whole mess? The Hawks, it's not, and I say mess, it's really a good problem to have both yeah. those guys. <laughs> but no, you know it is I mean. a great problem. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a question for you, really quick. But like, yeah. does it just, is it just me or does it look like Capella is like he's not moving the same anymore? Yeah, I, I think it's been better recently. And by recently, I mean the couple, last couple of months. Like, I think early in the season, in particular, he was not the only guy. This is probably the case with Bogey too on a lower level. Like, they missed the whole off season, and I think that really hurt him. Even last year, it wasn't quite as severe, but the first like 10 games of last season, when I thought Capella was like a top seven defender in the league last year, like he was really, really good. But early in the year, it was like, what's going on with him? And this year was kind of the same thing, a little bit less. Like he's not been as good, even as someone who defends him. He's not been as good this year as he was last year, full stop. But I think that he's been moving better since the Achilles got a little bit healthier, but it's a concern. I mean, he's had, he's had Achilles issues for three years now he's a 27 28 year old center like it's not going to probably get a whole lot better and like on the perimeter i think this might be, might be what you're seeing too on some level they're asking him to show more than he was in the past mm-hmm. yeah. i think to i think to make up for some of the perimeter issues that they're having um nate's just trying a little bit more different stuff they're having him more at the level than he was last year he's almost always in drop and that's what he is right now i think capella in houston was much more mobile now he's a drop guy it's just what he is Whereas the Kongwu is this incredible young athlete. He can show, he can do all these things. But I think that asking Capella to play at the level more is not going to make him look better, if that makes sense. So it's a combination of all those things. I think he has probably taken a half step back, but also like they're just, Nate, I think just sees what's going on. And it's like, all right, I got to try something else because the drop's not working. But I don't really think it's Capella and the drop that's not working. It's the perimeter guys. So it's like, what do you want to fix? It's all kind of connected. Yeah, I was going to mention like bogey and, Herder are both like terrible at guarding the pick and roll right now. So like I could see why they're they're showing him more. But um so like just like full transparency, in the beginning of the year I was on um one of those no ceilings pot uh one of their podcasts and yeah. I actually thought Capella might be like a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate. He was to me one of the three best defensive centers last season. He was great last um, year. Yep. And, you know, we all thought – a lot of us thought the Hawks would probably be fighting for a top four seed in the Eastern Conference at the very least this year just with you know the bringing the roster back and stuff but so here's my thing i think capella you know has been the anchor of a top 10 defense he was in houston a couple times for harden and paul i think he can still be like the anchor of a top 10 defense in the nba but the problem is when you have so many offensive slanted players like you have to make sure you are maximizing that center position and like the things you can do with that center position. And I'm like a full believer in the idea you can build a really good defense with just drop in the regular season. Like the Memphis yeah. Grizzlies did it with Jonas last year. They strictly did drop. You can't really do anything else. They had the sixth best defense in the league. Like I, I'm definitely sure you could do that. But I think on this team, Okongu is just, he's better. First of all, I think he's better in drop. He's better at like filling up the space. He's a little bit more active. Um, I talked to, uh, polar fall on twitter and he he kind of mentioned the same thing he's got great like dexterity good timing 
Uh, I think he shows better. And then switching, he's definitely better to me. Sure. I think he can play guys on the perimeter better. So I just think, like, Ian Capel is a good defender. And, like, on some teams, he might be a better option than a Kongu. But um, I think on this team, just because you need that scheme versatility, especially when you're lacking those point-of-attack guys, that he would be the option. Yeah, I think that eventually that's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. almost regardless. I-, I think almost it doesn't matter what Capella does. Like, they're going to move on at some point. Um, the extension, one of the theories that I even floated, but I've also heard offline about the extension, was like they almost did that extension to trade him. Like, they almost did that to make him more tradable, which is risky because if he has a bad year, which – I don't think he's had a bad year, but he hasn't been quite as good as he was last year. And that means like, all right, if he goes to the market this year and trade, teams are going to want him. He's still a plus, he's still a plus guy, but he doesn't have like huge trade value. Um, so it's interesting to me that they did that anyway. But once a Kongwu has proven himself and he's getting there, I think I will I will say this, and I agree with like all the strengths and like yeah, I'm a huge fan of Kongwu's. I think it's more of that the seasoning, like he has all the traits that you would want. And on the right night, he'll look fantastic. And then on the other night, he'll, he'll get them, he'll get in foul trouble and he can't rebound and this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's cause he's young. He's 21. He'll be 21 until the middle of next season. Like that's how young he is. By the way, he's played 80 games in his career. Mm-hmm. still. Like yeah, he's got like 600 minutes this season. Yeah. He's sure. played. I actually pulled this earlier. He's played fewer minutes in the regular season in his, in his career then Gallo, Gallo, not Trey, not Capella, then Gallo has played this season. That's awesome. So, like, it's one of those things where Kongwu, I, I totally understand that, like, okay, it's time. Let's go to a Kongwu decision because in the future, it's going to be your guy. I just think he's got a little bit more seasoning to, to get to. And rebounding is a question for me. Um, the team numbers are not as bad as his individual numbers, but like, of course, it's not it's not fair because Capella is legitimately elite as a rebounder. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. top five in the league probably as a pure rebounder. And Akongwu, being as small as he is, and also just not having all of the NBA you know little tricks of the trade down yet, is a bad rebounder at center. It's just what he is right now. I don't think he's always going to be that. But the comp that I made the other day was Al Horford, and you know Hawks fans were divided on Al Horford as a center in Atlanta. Let's just say, but they were able to build elite defenses without Horford at center. And they were always bad at rebounding. You don't have to be great at rebounding to be a good defensive team. And that might be the path for Okongwu when they sort of transition into that, be a little bit, a little bit smaller, a little bit more mobile uh, and see what happens there. But, you know, I, I'm interested to see what they do within the rest of the year, because he just missed time again with concussion. I don't know how much he's going to play. There, there were times a few weeks ago when they kind of flirted with him playing more than Capella or as much as Capella. And then, Nate will go back to Capella playing, you know, 65-35 against, against the Kongwu. So I don't know where that's going to land this season. It might be matchup driven, but I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that a Kongwu is just healthy from this point on and he can kind of get established as to what his role is going to be both this year and then eventually when they sort of turn it over, it'll be pretty obvious. Yeah, you didn't see me, but I just I just knocked on wood when you said that. So <laughs> we're in the clear. Yeah, me, me too. We're doing it. But um, I was going to say, and I think the other thing is like, the the lack of rebounding thing kind of works in their advantage a little bit when we talk about the transition stuff. Like, I'm not a huge proponent of you should just stop offensive rebounding, like just get back in transition. But like just for this specific team, I think they are such a good half-court offense that it's okay to bring in a lesser rebounder because he's getting back on transition. Like, oh, I was yeah, looking I at cleaning the glass. And I think they're like seven or eight points better transition-wise with a Kongu on the floor than they are with Capella. They're still like bad, but like, it's, I mean, well, he, you know, he's just so much, something. he's just so much faster, so much mm-hmm. quicker. And, you know, you brought it up earlier, but 
we'll say it again, between Gallo is an all-time bad guy in transition now defensively. Like he cannot change into the floor. That's very obvious. And then you factor in Trey, you factor in Lou, and like you're already kind of drawing dead. And then you have other guys who like Bogey's a Eurofile guy. He doesn't really get back necessarily very easily. Mm-hmm. Capella is not the same kind of lateral, you know, uh, end-to-end athlete that he used to be. He's not busting down every time either. So you can definitely see why they're bad transition. And a Kongwu, for all the questions that he might have about being so young and unseasoned, is a high-end athlete that plays super hard. He will run the floor. He's athletic. Um, how many got? How many centers in the league can change ends like a Kongwu? Like not very many. Not too many. <laughs> no, not too many. The, the list is not very long. So no, it'll be interesting to see what they kind of do as a team moving forward. I, I've been trying desperately to hold off on like the full blown like future conversation because like we're in the middle right now because. I find that like maybe maybe not half, but we'll say half just to round it off. Half of Hawks fans are like living and dying still this season, wins and losses that they're going to make a run. And the other half are like, get me to the off season. And it's like that really weird time where they're not bad enough for me to look ahead, but they're not good enough to me for me to just look at this season either. So it's like, I'm in this limbo right now. It's interesting. Yeah. I remember I was listening to you talk about it um, on the pod. I think you were doing your mailbag thing and somebody was like, am I a shitty fan or something? If I want, <laughs> yeah. the, if I want the Hawks to yeah. be like a top 10 pick in the draft. I get it. I mean, I really do. Yeah. Like, listen, as someone who I'm trying to be objective and I'm not living and dying because of that, but I'm still, I'm, I'm having to cover, cover the team every day. And I also cover the whole rebuild when mm-hmm. a, there wasn't a game that mattered for four years. And it was, it's really, it's a bizarre way to cover and also be a fan of, but especially to cover a team because you just, you can't take the night off. But you're going into the night thinking the result of this game does not matter. And it's bizarre, honestly. It really is. And I had to kind of turn the switch back on when they were back in the mix last year. It was like, oh, they're actually competing. These games matter. I have to cover them differently. But we're in that space now where, like, I totally understand a fan wanting them to not necessarily shut it down because Trey's not going to shut it down, but, like, to lose in the play and, and get in the lottery and have a chance. Like, I, I kind of get that because if you don't believe the Hawks can actually make a run – like a real run this year, what's it all for? I mean, it's it's interesting uh, back and forth. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I agree with you. It is – it's peculiar, and um, I give you credit. That's why, like, I, I just cover the league at large because I couldn't – I don't know, I couldn't be on the nose, like, of a team like that, just living and dying with them, experiencing the highs <laughs> and lows. It's too much for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I – people know this, probably know this, but maybe I new listeners as well. I was a season ticket holder – and like a big Hawks fan in college. And I, I once put um, my tickets on a credit card when I didn't have the money to pay for the tickets, which is a, an aggressive decision in college. But once I started covering them, you just slowly get less and less attached because you just can't anymore. You're in the locker room and you're doing the stuff and try to be objective, try to cover the team. And I, I cover the league too. So it's this interesting balance, but I started the podcast. They were pretty good when I started the podcast. It was 2016, kind of in the, the, the late Millsap era before Dwight and if I had any fandom left in me the Dwight season removed it from me <laughs> his uh but didn't he like lead the league in like technical fouls that year I, that whole I season like, was the biggest yeah. slog I mean they weren't even that bad they made the playoffs they weren't like terrible but they were oh, it, was so, awesome. so, it was so hard to, yeah both stuff was great so hard to watch but uh it will definitely make you uh, think about basketball differently and then you cover a rebuild and every day I mean podcasting at least five times a week for most of that was uh interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you talk about being, like, objective, like, this is way out, out of left field, but, like, you know, my girlfriend's dad or, like, my girlfriend's family, they, they find out, like, oh, you're a sports writer, like, who's your favorite team? I'm like, 
I'm thinking about it. I'm like, honestly, I, I don't really have one anymore. Yeah. They're like, oh, what do you like about the sport? I'm like, I don't know. I really like it. Like when just I see basketball. like, a, a, yeah, I just like, I don't know when I see um, a defender like blow up a lob or just something like that no one else cares about. I'm like, yeah, I, li- I like that. I don't, I don't <laughs> like any teams. I don't like any teams or players. I don't have any. I have to be objective. I'm sorry. Yeah, I find myself doing that too mm-hmm. and uh, appreciating the little stuff for sure. Um, before we get out of here, I want to make sure we touch on briefly the next game on the schedule because because this is this be my only podcast in between the Pistons game mm-hmm. and the Bucks game. And this is kind of a big one. It was supposed to be an ESPN game and it got moved. But Hawks-Bucks rematched the conference finals. Um, we're recording this actually while the Bucks are playing. The Bucks are actually playing in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City tonight, so I'm not, I'm not sure of the result on that one at the moment. But um, the Hawks will be close to full strength. Herder is probable again after missing the game on Monday. Anything you're looking for in that one? Obviously, it's just one, one out of 82 for you as someone who's not covering the team every day. But it's a pretty big game. I mean, objectively, it's the Hawks' biggest game of this week. And um, Hawks-Bucks is now – I'm not sure it's a rivalry, but it's certainly a recognizable matchup after all this stuff that happened last year. Yeah, I mean – like, okay, so I'm honestly more like – you're, you're going to hate me for this because it's no a way. Hawks podcast. I'm more – I'm more looking at the Bucks in that game because the thing, the things with the defense. I mean, first of all, they're like you know they're still like presumably the favorites in the Eastern Conference, but like there's been a lot of talk about the defense without Brook Lopez. We don't know if Brook Lopez is going to come back, so I'm always curious to see how that goes. Every game I watch for the Hawks, I always watch how Trey Young handles the various pick and roll coverages they throw at him, and the Bucks love to show two on the ball or like blitz. So I'm curious because that's always been like the the best way to slow Trey Young down. It's not it doesn't usually work because he's so good at getting the ball out in different angles. So I guess if I'm watching that from like a Hawks perspective, I would be curious to see like with like presumably like say Holiday and you know whether it be Portis or Giannis um being the other guy to blitz him. I'm curious to see how Young continues to you know get the ball out to the roller. So that's something I'd be interested in. Yeah the Hawks have had success against the Bucks this year. They're mm-hmm. actually two and zero against Milwaukee and mm-hmm. We'll see if that continues. Uh, I would say we don't know the betting line just yet on that one, but as long as Giannis plays, the Hawks will not be favored. I would not imagine at tip off in that one. But as we saw on Monday, uh, anything can happen in this league. They lost to Detroit, and maybe they'll go into Milwaukee and sort of make up for that one. But I'm looking forward to seeing adjustments, like you said. And um, Milwaukee's—they're not like totally shorthanded, but tonight they're playing without you know Lopez and Hills about for a while. But you know Pat Connaughton's out too, and Grayson Allen didn't play tonight, so like they're mm-hmm. kind of short of guys. Like they don't have this super deep team right now. They have the guys that are their core guys. They have their best three guys, plus, you know, Portis and whoever else, but they don't have a ton of depth. So maybe the Hawks can take advantage of that. And if Herter plays, it'd be the first time in a while the Hawks have been uh, at full strength too. So that's something to see. And we'll see if they can sort of utilize that and not have to stretch as much because last night they had to play Well, I should say they had to, they decided to play Trey and lose some together, which I don't always love. Um, That's a weird lineup. I I really don't like it. Um, And I, Last night drove me crazy because they they did it without Collins on the floor or Capella on the floor too. So they're playing those guys with Gallo, and it's like you just have no prayer of getting a stop at any point. Like that's got to be the worst defensive trio that any team will play this season together. Now, granted, offensively it's fun, but you know, I watched that exact trio in that Lakers game I mentioned to you, and they played them for like I would say eight minutes in the fourth quarter, and they actually like they were like doing really well, but they're playing you know I'll be the Lakers who. We know True. about their struggles, and I think Russell was it. Yeah, LeBron wasn't playing in that game, so it was just yeah. like it was like Ross and AD, and it was just it was funny. I'm like, is this really like is this a thing? Like, I mean, if, if you see if you see on the right night, if you see mm-hmm. Trey or even 
Ramutre, if you see Lou and Gallo on the right night and they both have it on offense, it's actually a lot of fun and they can outscore teams and it doesn't really matter what happens on defense. But if they're just only okay or if they don't have it on offense, it gets pretty ugly in a hurry, which is not exactly scientific, but um, there you have it. Um, well, Matt, you're giving me a lot of time, which I definitely appreciate. Um, please, please, please plug yourself. I know if you're watching on YouTube, you can definitely see Matt's Twitter handle and all that stuff. But for the, for the audio listeners, et cetera, where people find your work because they definitely should be checking your stuff out, following you and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, the easiest way to find all my work is uh, at Matt Issa 15 on Twitter. So at M-A-T-I-S-S-A 15. I always post like my articles on there. I write for, like I said, Basketball News. Um, the analyst Forbes, All Star Sports, a couple other places. Um, yeah, so that's probably the best way to reach me. I do have some pretty pretty big things coming out in the off season about for basketball news, so I'll be sharing more of that. So you know, be sure to follow so you can hear all about that, and you can listen to me tweet about I don't know breakfast, uh, Batman, <laughs> and my pickup basketball career. There you go. That's uh, that's the stuff that's actually important. To be honest with you, it's yeah. probably better Twitter yeah. content than what I get than what I put out during the day uh, when I'm at a day job trying to just share links and stuff. So no, thanks for doing this, Matt. I, uh, I'll be sure to bug you in the future to come back on the show, but uh, this was a fun conversation. Hopefully people will uh, check out your stuff in the future. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. We'll return after the game on Wednesday.